Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Experience. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast. This for UFC Montevideo from Uruguay. Cody, Saptic in studio. Have you ever been to Uruguay? Have you ever been to South America? No, the I have answer not. for me is no. I'm no, no, I don't really. Uh, technically, I have been to South America. You flicking an airport? I was on a flight. Or I, was, I, was, I was on a cruise and we went to uh, Marguerite Island, which is technically part of Venezuela. <laughs> okay. But not really. Did like, you have a margarita there? I never went mainland. You wouldn't. You would never in a million years want to have went into Venezuela. Yeah. This was like the nice little place in Venezuela that tourists yeah, actually went fair to. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, on my list of places to visit, uh, South America doesn't really pop off on me. But yeah, really? who knows? Yeah, I don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. I'd, I'd like to say, oh, I like the beaches. They're full of beaches. I like, oh, I like the culture. Great culture. I like heat. Super hot. No idea why. But if they put on a banger of a card on come Saturday, eh, maybe I'll uh, rethink that. I mean, Uruguay was never on my list, but Brazil, Colombia, maybe even Peru to see the ruins and stuff. Like Uruguay has made me money in, uh, in, Argentina. Argentina in World Cup soccer cool because they always get through the first match. They do. They have Suarez. He bites people. Yeah, yeah, you can't, not, you can't play here. Not much Uruguayan talent on this card. And we talk about like home cooking and all that, but it's like there's not a lot of Uruguayan talent on this. Yeah, I think it's just this Garagori guy. Yeah, they've gone to places before and just try to put like that one local guy, and it almost doesn't work out. So yeah. instead, they're just like, hey, let's put some Brazilians yes. and let's put some Argentinians and let's just put a little mix of uh, different South American fighters on there. So I, I don't know what to believe in the home cooking. There's a lot of fights here, I think. This is a close fight between an American guy and a South American guy. Wouldn't you want, if you're believing in home cooking, wouldn't you want to go with the South American guy? But I, I just don't know. Yeah. And quite frankly, the judging there has always been bad. So I just don't know who it benefits. Yeah, I think the last time it was like Diego Rivas. In, favorite. In, A big in favorite. Chile. Huh, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, why are Yeah. You can't lay juice on some of these He was guys. on the main card, Paul. You know, we'll, we'll talk about the, the Garagori guy, or that's how I'm going to say his name, when we get there. But it's just like, he's 12-0, but it's like, who have you? really fought yeah fair enough anyway let's get to the main event a rematch of sorts well, actually not of, of sorts 100 <laughs> percent. actually before they sorry i almost dropped i almost dropped the ball there you did forgot about uh the winners from last year last week's draw we have uh he hate me 14 congratulations you are the winner of 20 dk dollars if you want to get into a draw this week and be like he hate me 14 
then what you got to do is give the episode a like, uh, leave your DK handle, and tell us who your favorite play under 8K is. That will get you into a draw to win 20 DK dollars like he hate me, 14. Exactly. And take it up with Pat. If you got any complaints, yeah. at the PME, he is the prize department. However, yes, yeah, just all you gotta do is like the show, give your handle, who is your best 8,000 play. And there's a lot of them, let's be honest here. As any B yeah, side we're, we're here, gonna get it. we're gonna break down the entire card. Yeah. So there's no point in us telling you quite yet, but why don't we get into it? Okay. All right, we have Valentina Shevchenko taking on Liz Carmouche rematch from like seven years, seven, eight years ago. Nine, I think. Nine, yeah, eight, actually, it was nine years ago. Yeah. yeah. Um, Valentina Shevchenko, 9,600 minus 1250 favorite. Liz Carmouche, 6,600 and plus. 800. Okay, well, Carmouche won. I believe she won by submission. Uh, I may be wrong on that uh, off the top of my head. Either way, this is like nine years ago. Valentina obviously had probably next to no ground game at the time. Um, but this price, this price is set up for you to 100% just not play this line. Um, unless you want to play Carmouche, you want to absolutely have a full out punt type of play like we did see Liz Carmouche get onto the back of Ronda Rousey once upon a time how long ago was that of course I know but what I'm saying is 5800 it's just like don't be adding Shevchenko to parlays at this price because like really what what's the return the only thing that you could do if you're doing like a 13 fight the entire fight parlay okay throw her on like that'll juice it up or whatever but and you can hedge out if you do go 12 for 12, you get to That's this the main, main thing. Event. It's easy hedge if you are going to parlay. Sure, but man, minus 12, banana, banana peel pricing. So um, I'm going to be avoiding this fight. It's just, it's pretty much unbettable. I think Shevchenko wins. I think that she is on a different level than anybody else in this division right now. And, uh, and, and the thing with Shevchenko on DraftKings is we've seen her pile up some points in a bunch of her fights. But that's where she was able to mix in grappling and stuff. And I think uh, Liz Carmouche should be able to negate most of that. I do expect Carmouche to just eat a whole bunch of shots by a much more well-seasoned striker in Shevchenko. But 9,600, even if we go to five rounds, Shevchenko isn't exactly the highest volume output when she's on her feet. Um. Maybe Carmouche will force the issue by just like charging forward, and she could score. She could she could score a big, but ninety six hundred is a lot to pay for somebody who probably won't be able to grapple all that much in this. So, I think I'm just fading the main event in general. Yeah, I don't think anybody had much interest in seeing this rematch, but it's similar to when Conor McGregor was on his little bit of roll, and everybody always would be like, oh man, you should fight Joe Duffy. It's like, wh- wh- why would Conor McGregor fight Joe Duffy? That makes absolutely no sense. Come on. Joe Duffy subbed him. It's like, yeah, I get that. But just like both of their careers have gone different paths. I'm not saying Carmouche never got to the top of the mountain. She attained that. But like that fight with Shevchenko was back when they were both like undefeated. And it was before Liz Carmouche even signed with Strike Force. You have a 22-year-old Valentina Shevchenko versus a 26-year-old Liz Carmouche. And you're right. Carmouche was the grappler. She was four years older, which made a difference. She was a little bit stronger. She's able to kind of get her to the ground. She gets the victory. Now, years and years later, Shevchenko's got to a point where there's really nobody in the division for her to fight. Who could she realistically is the number one contender? We don't know. But you got to keep her busy. She's got to fight people. Sure, we're going to build it up to a potential trilogy match with Amanda Nunez, but she's got to defend this 125 title a couple of times. Who do we have that's a challenger? Geez, we got Liz Carmouche. She's 35. She's on a two-fight winning streak. 
her last loss is Alexis Davis. She shouldn't be in a title position, but she has that one win. And because she has that one win, we can sell it. When the fight lo- when the fight opens, you're going to get on Shevchenko. Problem is, everybody got on Shevchenko. That's why it's now 1250. DK prices opens a little bit after that line is settled. They're going to make it 9600. Now, here's the interesting thing. Valentina Shevchenko has actually finished three of her last four opponents, or her last three, three of her last four wins. Uh, didn't finish Joanny and Jacek, but I mean, Technically, Priscilla Cachoeira, she smoked her. Jessica I completely stiffened her up. And then she does have an armbar win over Juliana Pena, showing that her grappling's come a long way. She's kind of versatile. It's just Liz Carmouche has gone to decision her last seven fights. She is a decision machine. She has never been knocked out. She has been submitted, albeit, do we think Shevchenko is such a great grappler that she's not going to sub her? I don't know. This is a three-round fight. I completely agree with what you're saying. Stay away. Maybe Carmouche slows it down. Maybe she scores some takedowns. Maybe she just gets a tricky position where she's able to take the back and ride it out, and it's long enough to steal around. But in a five-round fight, you think Cream's going to rise to the top. Shevchenko's eventually just going to pick away at her, get her. It's a huge price. Only thing I'm debating with myself now is, do you take Shevchenko by decision, knowing Carmucci's got a long history of being durable and probably will be there for 25? Or do you go with this rhythm of, geez, she's so much better than everybody else in the division that why can't she just blast you in the head with a kick? Why can't she, you know, touch you up with the course of 25? Why can't she, you know, for- force a desperate Carmucci to make a mistake and then submit her on the ground? Like, why can't she do those things? I, I don't know. So that's where it becomes a little bit more. I- I- I'm full greens with you, though. DK, $9,600. No chance. If I was a Carmouche supporter, how could I not pass on the 66? I mean, when I, but again, when I'm not a Carmouche believer. Things too, it's like we're talking about like if you're making like a single bullet, you're making a couple lineups. You can avoid you can avoid this. Fight. If you're max entering things, you're going to have, you know, 25 or 20, 25 percent. You may have an underweight position on this type of fight. You're We're trying to help. You're making 150 yeah. lineups. You're not going to completely fade this. You would yeah. just, that's, it's just. But we're insane. we're trying to we're trying to give people the pieces to build a lineup exactly, and for a lineup maybe Shevchenko's a little bit overpriced. Even though I, I think we're in full agreement yeah, that and, she's and probably she, going to win this she fight. She can totally <laughs> score. She can totally score. She could totally be the highest scorer on this card. I'm just going to be yeah. spending my DK dollars elsewhere. Fair enough. All right, we got the uh, co-main event. We have Vicente Luque taking on Mike Perry. Vicente Luque, 9,000 on DraftKings, a minus 230 favorite. Mike Perry, 7,200 and plus 190. Who you got here, Cody? Yeah, well, we've kind of seen it time and time with Mike Perry. Like, so entertaining, so fun to watch. He's obviously a crowd pleaser and a fan favorite, but, like, when he takes on better, more technical strikers than him, it's just like there's a big experience gap. There's a big technique gap. And can he fill that gap? With just that sheer bruteness and that, you know, it doesn't, he's got some decent size to the division. He's not huge as a welterweight, but, you know, he's got heart. He's got physicality. He'll, he'll come at you. He'll make it a brawl. Can he, can he force your hand on that? Probably. It's just the guys that don't play into that kill him. So looking at his, you know, I'm just going to look at the, the recent fights for him, but it all starts off with the Santiago Ponzinibbio fight. Here's a superior striker. He's more seasoned. He's got more experience. He's better all around and he's a top guy and he's able to just play with them other than periods where, Mike Perry showed a little heart and came swinging at him and survived a decision. That Max Griffin fight. Max Griffin just fights a technical game plan and outpoints him. The Felder fight, Felder's a technical fighter, but Felder took the fight on a week's notice, moved up from 155 pounds, looked out of it in sorts, and still it was a split decision. Then the Cerrone fight. Here's a much more technical fighter than him. It's the same thing. Now, now people are starting to get back on him because that Cowboy Oliveira fight. Here's a top contender, and here's somebody he went through, but... Cowboy's another guy. His best days seemingly were at 155 pounds. He's coming up here to take on Mike Perry, and he has lots of success. Mike Perry's just able to break him down ever so slightly. With Luke, we all know he's faster. We all know he's a sharper, more technical striker. We all know he's a better wrestler. We all know he has better grappling skills. 
But you lost at that Bar- Brian Barberina fight. And Luke, if he doesn't put you away, he's hittable. He's really hittable. If you're going to stand with there and you're going to offer him a fight, why can't you take it from there? Bar- Brian Barberina, not the most talented guy, not the biggest guy. Everything that Brian Barberina brings to the table, you can make a strong ar- and valid argument that Mike Perry can do everything just as good, if not better. So why can't Brian Bar- or why can't uh, Mike Perry be the live dog in this situation? It's just because like I've seen history repeat itself. Cowboy Oliver is a brawler. Felder fought a bad game plan and was moving up a weight class. He take advantage of those guys. Guys that are his size, that are better, sharper, quicker, more accurate strikers, they're going to have their way. And Luke, even though he's like, he's been dealt a bad hand in the sense that he's on a massive win streak, he looks sick. But it's like he, he fights so many of the Derek Krantz's of the world that it's like it's hard to really see where he's at. But he's not taking a ton of damage in those fights. He's improving every day. He's young. I just feel like he's a little bit sharper, a little bit better. And even though this could be a dicey nail biter, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Vicente Luque. I do worry about Vicente. Vicente Luque takes. <coughs> He gets hit. He gets Damn hit right he lot. does. He doesn't move his head at all. He doesn't really move his head. That is my one concern <laughs> against Perry. We've seen Perry, you know, the the elbow against Ellenberger. Like, this guy does yeah. have yeah. finishing capabilities. So, like, Mike, Mike Perry is live in this fight. I don't think he's going to win. I'm with you. I think that uh, the better, more technical striker with... Yeah, I think he's going to come up with a pretty good game plan. You watch that Max Griffin fight. You see the holes that you can exploit. Maybe even Vicente Luque decides to take this fight to the ground. He knows if he can get this fight to the ground, his Jets is definitely good good enough to uh, to finish off Mike Perry. I like him, but it's it's there's there is some risk. Like uh, Derek Krantz rocked him pretty good. Barbarina knocked uh, Luque pretty good. He has good. been like, rocked. He has been rocked. And he's check, taking his, on a power puncher. His so, chin like, does hold up when he does rock, but you're 100% it's right. It's not We've like seen Luque is a full out lock, yeah. but I'm with you. I like him to uh, win as well. One, one last thing I want to just touch on is the DK pricing on this. Even though Luque, he could score a tremendous amount of points against Mike Perry, and you know, 9,000 is definitely uh, something I look at. I got him winning. That's who I'm going to side on. But as far as cash games go, when you look at that Brian Barber, Barberina fight. Brian Barberina scores a pile of points against Vincente Luque and ultimately loses. Mike Perry, 7200 bucks. If you've got cash game, if he wins, he's going to be a hell of a play. If he loses, he could still get you 60, 70 points, which actually gets him up to near his value at the 7200. Unless he gets take down, taken down and choked. Yeah, unless he gets taken, taken down and choked. That's but, what you're dodging but, there. But but who's done that to him, right? It seems Donald like Cowboy Cerrone. <laughs> okay, fair. Donald Cowboy Cerrone had his way with him. But again, you know, since then he made his camp switch. Since then he's looking a little bit better. And I don't know that I'd say Vincente Luque is on the same wrestling acumen of Donald Cerrone. But e- either way, I think Luque is going to be the pick. It's just, yeah, with Mike Perry, you don't know what version you're going to get. And if you get a damn good version of him... He's a handful for anybody. It's just, again, sometimes his girlfriend's coaching him, or it's, I guess it's his wife now. Sometimes it's an actual, it's Greg Jackson. Sometimes he's, I think he's back in Florida now, and now with Greg Jackson. Now he's going to South America. Like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't just bet Mike Perry just because he, you know, rocks a funny haircut and is entertaining. And has tattoos on his face. Don't get tattoos on your face until you've made, until you've lived your dreams, kids. One of the best lines by him. Of all time. Anyway, we got uh, Luis Eduardo Garagori. That sounds like I'm Italian, but I'm supposed to be Uruguayan. Uh, he takes on Humberto Bandanai. Greg Garagori is 8,400 minus 125 favorite. Bandanai 7,800 and plus 105. I tried watching tape on this, uh, this Garagori guy. It's just like, oh, this is like one of his most recent fights. And it's just yeah. like, it's like a. a f- a phone cam from like 1999, like super low quality. 
But from what I was able to discern from watching it, I was just like, oh, you're 12 and 0, but like, dude, dude, like nobody, like, and none of these guys that you're fighting are even anywhere close to even being like a contender series type. Of these fight. guys wouldn't make it on Tough Latin America. No, man. So, and you've got to stretch it to make that cast. God I guess he damn. is the local guy. Band and I is nothing special. He did have that one, like, you know, he won Tough Latin knee. America. He won Tough Latin no, America. Had, That's his fucking thing. And he had that thing. flying knee knockout, like in the in the show. Or was it that was that was the, the landed win. the head kick in the final and he was the underdog. And after that, people all of a sudden started betting yeah. him as a favorite against people he had no business being mm-hmm. in the ring with. And you know, at least now uh they're giving him he he is the seasoned veteran now compared to this guy. Yeah. Who's he's like, being he's like and fourteen up. and eight though. Yeah. I don't know, man. I don't I find it hard to believe anybody can feel like they've really have an edge on this type of fight. Like Garagor, you just he doesn't look very good, but Ben and I is a pretty is is about the level that could make this competitive. I see this as a pick 'em as it is. Give me the local guy. All things equal, maybe they there's a little robbery, a little little carne asado or whatever the hell they call it down in Uruguay. They love their steak. That's the home cooking down there. Um, give me give me the local Uruguayan, but like I I am not betting this fight i am sorry and like i just don't really have a very good read on it whatsoever like there's just not enough information for me to feel confident in it yeah i'm taking a hard pass i'm gonna take bad tonight the thing that worries me is that this is the kind of fight that you probably need one of these guys on a successful dk lineup because ben and i I is only 7800 bucks and could he just go out and boot this guy in the head like he did martin bravo once upon a time sure yeah yeah why why couldn't he Flip side to that, it's like Ben and I is really not all that good. And this guy, this this Uruguayan fighter, he, he's very one-dimensional, but like he swings heaters, like he is gonna try to take you out. He's got that home crowd, he'll come after you. They're both evenly, it's an evenly priced fight. And both of them are a decent price on DK, although I much prefer the seventy-eight hundred dollars on Band and I over the eighty-four hundred dollars on his yeah. opponent. On the flip side of that, do with Band and I is that maybe we're not giving him a, a full shake, right? Let's pull out those last two losses from his career. His record looks infinitely better than his opponents here. Not only did uh, well, he beat this this Vincente Vargas, who's seven and zero, but then he beat Salim Mulakov, right? Mulakov is no joke. In fact, he's a Sanda expert, and it's a good little win for him. That gets him on tough. He runs through tough. He gets to fight with Bravo. He knocks Bravo out. So now he's like he's definitely a South American prospect. It's like, how do South American prospects do against Gabriel fucking Benitez? No, not good because no. Benitez is out of AKA. He's a much more refined. Uh, Latin American prospect, you know, South American prospect, I should say. He fights at a better camp. He's got UFC experience. He's a much more versatile striker. He beats him up. Okay, we get that. But that Austin Arnett fight, it seems like you're doing him a favor, right? It's in South America. Austin Arnett is really a nobody. It's just not a good fight. The guy's extremely durable. He's got a quirky style. He doesn't make you look good. It's an absolutely boring fight. And now you're getting a guy who would, if this fight was Luis Eduardo Garagori, Versus Austin Arnett or Gabriel Benitez, like like you, the conversation wouldn't even have. We would just gloss over it. Like, yeah, he's got no shot. Those guys are better than him. So Bain and I losing them. I, I don't care. The plus one hundred five. It's totally dog or pass. You should pass. But I would take the dog for the plus one hundred five. And then when I look at the DK lineup, do your research on this one. Seventy hundred dollars. Fuck, dude. This guy's got a history of finishing. He can finish with strikes. He can finish with submissions. He's taking on a guy who's absolutely 
unproven. The other thing is he fought on Tough Latin America. He won the Ultimate Fighter. And he's got two more, I should say, plus that winning in the final. Three UFC fights under his belt. That makes a world of difference compared to some guy who's not only not fought in the UFC, he's not even fought on a place that filmed the fights for him before. That's why his buddy on the world's shittiest potato of a cell phone has to film it for him. So unless they're doing the world's greatest job of hiding a prospect. Yeah. Anyway, the, 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 very, the very last thing I'll say, though, is when I looked at both of their camps, is that this Uruguayan guy seems to be training nowhere. Like He's just, he's just doing the same thing that's gotten him. training in Uruguay, which yeah. is basically nowhere. <clears throat> Whereas Bandanai is in South America now because the fight's there and whatever. He's got South American rooms. But he had spent a lot of time with Team Oyama in California. And, you know, Colin Oyama's a genius. They got a good little team there. You see the improvements that their young prospects make. Why can't this guy be like that? So, dog or pass, he'd be smart to take the pass. Yeah, fair enough. I hear that. I hear that. Um, yeah, it's really tough to trust either one of those guys. Anyway, let's move on. We have Volkan Ozdemir taking on my boy, the Sledgehammer, Ilir Latifi. His fight rebooked. I believe when it was first, like our last time this fight was booked, I caught a plus 160 on Ilir Latifi. And I was happy with that. Yeah. And by the time it got canceled, it was like plus 105. Right now, it's uh, uh, Latifi is plus 120. Ozdemir is minus 140, 8,500 and 7,700, respectively, on DraftKings. I mean, at plus 160, I was fully in on um, on Latifi. I think it's relatively close. It's I would maybe slightly edge. No, I wouldn't because I'm... I'm, well, for people new to the show, I'm I'm a Latifi yeah, guy. Yeah, he's, he's been good to you. He's been good to you. He's a top five guy in the yeah, pantheon yeah. of Paul Shag guys. Yeah, and there's been good prices offered him on in the yeah. past. And um, and I like him. And I, you know what? Even though I, th- I guess you could say Vulcan does Demir is a totally. I am never gonna get the thought of Kelly Anunson ragdolling this guy. All over the Bellator cage. You love, my you love bringing that up. Love I'm never going to get it out of my head. And hey, my boy Latifi, we saw him do that type of game, or that game plan against Tyson Pedro. It's definitely possible. It worries me. I haven't laid anything on Latifi yet, but uh, maybe, maybe it's bias. Maybe it's truth. But it's my truth. I'm living my truth. I'm picking Latifi here. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you got to ride with your guns. And, I mean, I can't really fault you. Volkan Uzdemir is on a three-fight losing streak. Has not really looked all that impressive in quite some time. And, yeah, yeah, I get it. But the price is just not good enough on Latifi. Plus 160, and if it gets back to that, definitely tempting. He's got the ground game. He's got the, he's the sledgehammer for a reason. He just throws them lunchbox at you. But then eventually gets in on your hips and peels you to the ground. When he's on top of you, fuck, man, he's hard to get off because he's just so short and stocky. And the flip side to that is Uzdemir doesn't got a great get-up game to begin with. And he doesn't got a great get-up game when you're six foot four trying to get a guy off who's five foot nine. Trust me, a lot harder. Those long limbs are not going to help you against someone who's going to probably win the, the scrambles. So does Latifi have a path? Yes. I'm going to go with Greasy Theory on this. I think your boy Sledgehammer is fucking done, dude. I think like injuries have mounted up on him. I think he pulls out of the last <clears throat> Vulcan Uzdemir fight. With a back injury. And a back is like usually the beginning of the end. Oh, I got a backyotomy. Yeah, kind of got a backyotomy. <laughs> my man just slept with my mama. 
<laughs> so, uh, so anyways, when you, when you look at Latifi, you kind of do start to get that impression. The Bader fight, he gets clocked, whatever. The Tyson-Pedro fight, yeah, he's underdog. People kind of got him half written off there and uses his superior wrestling. Only thing, though, is Tyson-Pedro is terrible. No you takedown defense. Him. No, man. You loved him. No, man. You I've lost money on him in a few spots. in that gym. You loved him. Tyson Pedro is hurting times. Yeah, he did break my heart. He's not a very talented guy. Very young, very green. Shouldn't have been exposed to the UFC that quick. And turns out, total fraud. The Alvin St. Proof fight, he hits him. He puts him in that guillotine. Crazy that a guy that short because he didn't guillotine a guy that tall. But he does. That Corey Anderson fight, though, there's nothing to him. He, and I get Corey Anderson's a superior wrestler. He's, he's a better athlete. He's a better athlete. He's a superior wrestler. Uh, he's just got way better cardio. His striking's a little bit better. But it's like, this is a chinny guy. Latifi might be able to catch him. And Latifi's a hard wrestler. He's hard to take down. But it's like, he had nothing to offer. Then he pulls out the back injury. Now you look at a guy that's 36 years old. He's very short for the division. He's always been short for the division. He's going to have to fall back on his wrestling. But with Volcan, only 29, he knows he can strike. All he's been working on in his takedown defense because that's what fails him every time. And then when you go back to his last fight against Dominic Reyes, that's when his takedown defense is finally starting to get there. He's finally starting to get more comfortable in grappling exchanges. He probably wins that fight. Very, very close fight. And I had Dominic Reyes everywhere. So I'm glad Reyes won. But damn, that's a better version of him. Now he's set to take on Latifi. People are supporting him. He's the favorite. Latifi hurts his back. Latifi comes back older. Volcan's coming back with just more training under his belt. Another camp, more wrestling, more conditioning. He's had this fight book three times. He's ready for what Latifi brings. Whereas I just don't know that Latifi can still deal with these bigger, taller, superior strikers unless he can get the fight to the ground. So I didn't like it the first time around. It was a little too wide. But Volcan news to me at only minus 140. I would take it. The 8,500, it's not bad because even though this could be a very slow uh, grinding affair that doesn't have that many exchanges. The guy's got dynamite power, and maybe he does catch Latifi, who has been caught by dynamic strikes at least a few times in the past. But more than likely, I'm, I don't love that DK pricing, but I could see him paying up and being a decent play if he could force that stoppage. We got Rodolfo Vieira <laughs> taking on Oscar Piachota. Rodolfo Vieira is 9,100 and minus 230 favor. Pachota, 7,100 plus 190. What's your take here? Yeah, I don't see how... Uh, I, I really don't see how my boy Rodolfo Vieira loses this fight. He probably just takes down Pachota, and I would think he submits him with relative ease. The confusing thing is that Pachota is probably a much better striker than Rodolfo Vieira, and Pachota is also a black belt, and a good black belt. He's got ADCC experience. He's got a win over Keenan Cornelius way back in the day. Like, the guy can hold his own. And this is not gi grappling. This is no gi grappling. You're going to get sweaty in there. It's an MMA fight. Who's to say Pachota's defense isn't good enough to just allow him to survive? And then if he can extend this fight into some later rounds, he's got a superior striking skill set. Beat Rodolfo Vieira. But Rodolfo Vieira's a special kind of animal. Like, it's going to take a top-level athlete. It's going to take a top 15 contender at the very least to beat him. And Pachota's exactly not that. And then Pachota just got submitted by Gerald Mearshart, who's a black belt. But Mearshart should not have caught him, and he did. And Rodolfo mm -hmm. Vieira should turn this guy into an absolute pretzel. The pricing at 230 is, I think, very, very, very generous. And $9,100, I mean, hey, we expect this guy to go get that submission for sure. I was very confident in Cron Gracie over Bruce Leroy when he made his yeah. debut. And the whole thought here is Bruce Leroy's got a history of getting caught with the rear naked choke. Cron's got a history of getting on people's backs. It, this is, this is, he's going to cruise here. 
Now, where is Kron's ceiling in the UFC? That, I don't know. Because there's going to be guys that are going to stuff his takedowns and beat the shit out of him standing. Yeah. But against a certain level of opponent, he should be fine. I have not been impressed with Pachota in the slightest bit. And we talk about his grappling credentials. Remember his debut against Jonathan Wilson? Like, you're on the dingling man, Jonathan Wilson, for 15 minutes. You, you can't submit this guy? Like, it's a, it's a fairly close fight with him? I don't know. If Vieira was one of these guys that was just a BJJ practitioner coming into MMA, you know, you're a little hesitant in how good is this guy going to be. But he's not just a BJJ ace. He's the BJJ ace. He's a guy that's beaten the absolute best guys in the world and is widely regarded as one of the best guys to ever do the damn thing. So we've got to give him a little extra layer of support here. And then the other thing is, is that he's a little bit proven. He went to Russia, fought for ACB, took on tough Russian Sambo practitioners, and whipped them to the ground and submitted them with relative ease. So, yeah, is he going to get exposed at some point? Could be. He's going to have to fight somebody good. But he's not over the hill. He's not too old. He's not banged up. He's got a, a large superior skill set. You know? Unless I'll be wearing a lot of egg on my face. Like, I, I just don't I don't quite see how is going to lose this. And because there's so many fights going on between Contender Series on Tuesday, we've got PFL on Thursday, we've got this card on Saturday, you've got an even bigger UFC pay-per-view coming up after that. Because there's so much going on in the mix, maybe that's why it's sitting at 230, because it should be higher, I believe. Now comes the time where we have our, like, triannual discussion about Enrique Barzola. And whether he's actually going to go for takedowns. Because that's what he's good at. That's how he scores on DraftKings. And when he but does. this guy. Oh, my God. I, I roster him every single week. This is like the first time that I've been like, can I do this again? Because he'll just like, he just happily just stands at range and strikes and doesn't use the one thing. The one thing that he's good at. The one thing that he can really take over the fight. By doing, he wasn't able to, you know, he tried against Kevin Aguilar. That's kind of unfair, I guess. Um, and Aguilar was shooking him off. Yeah, Aguilar is not known for takedown defense. That true. one was the anomaly. I don't understand what happened that night. 8,900, Enrique Barzola, Bobby Moffat, 7,300, minus 145, Barzola, plus 125. How is Moffat's takedown defense? That's really what I want to ask from you. Yeah, it's not bad. The guy can wrestle. He's an MMA lab guy. He's got great jiu-jitsu. He's got nasty darts choke, nasty front headlock. Could he stuff Barzola's takedowns? Absolutely. Will he stuff large majority of them? Yeah, quite possibly. But Barzola's got one thing that the rest of the division doesn't have. Yeah, he's got really a ring, bad ring IQ, and he needs to shore that up. But, like, I believe him to be the pound-for-pound pound strongest guy in that division. But he's got poor technique. He's got no fucking game plan. He's got awful herky-jerky striking, which he, he relies on doesn't far too often. doesn't to to his corner. There's but been when lots he of clasps, times where his corner's like, go for the takedown, and he's just, yeah. like, throwing, like, spinning stuff from the outside. He's like, you're losing the fight this way. But he, his story coming into the UFC was he was a poor kid from a poor South American country, and True. it's like, yeah, and it's like, dude, this guy probably worked with livestock of some type, either bulls or cows or horses. He's so fucking strong, man. Once he clasps his hands around As you, as a farmer yourself, yeah, you and, and I've wrestled people. and I've wrestled farmers before, and like they're done after forty five seconds. But like, dude, oh man, that forty five, you know, those kind of people that the guillotine's clearly not in. They just got your neck. You're you're past the guard completely. They just don't know any better than to let go. It's like these guys are so strong. You still feel like, oh man, I'm going out here just from them squeezing because this is what they do. They're strong. Barzola's super, super strong. Just again, the technique's not there. Now, he's been an American top team for a few years now. Think of the best coaches in the world. He's got the best training partners in the world. And yeah, his striking has improved. The wrestling really doesn't seem to have improved. 
but it's just like he, he has not changed. He's the same guy that debuted in the UFC. And where he's, he was getting away with it against lower level of opposition, at some point you're going to have to step up. Kevin Aguilar, in my opinion, is not a high level of opposition, but he was enough. And Bobby Moffat, even though I do like Bobby Moffat, the Wolfman, again, not, not a huge level of... It's not a huge step up that I don't think he can handle. It's that we don't know if he's going to come in with an appropriate game plan and pursue it. And in this case, I think he beats Bobby Moffat is he a smoother striker than Moffat? No. He is herky-jerky. He is very stiff. He's very flat-footed. But he's just going to outwork Moffat. His shots will land. They'll have a little more power. He'll push Moffat back. Moffat's not some wonder. If Moffat scores the takedowns, Barzola's too strong. He'll get back up. And if the fight generally takes place against the fence, which is what I'd like, Barzola's the stronger man. He'll get some takedowns. Moffat will get back up. Mm-hmm. And he'll continue to ride him. It's got all decision. That sounds like bad it's got, DK play, though. Well, it's got decision all written written all over it. And whereas that's normally bad DK play, the best Barzola has ever scored is when he scores nine or ten takedowns because he only gets it for like three or four seconds. Yeah. And then because he can't hold anybody down. He yeah, doesn't really and, have the jiu-jitsu to actually maintain that position. No, and Bobby Moffat's probably the best jiu-jitsu guy he's fought. Well, Aguilar's got good jiu-jitsu, but Bobby Moffat's he, he's a good grappler. So the thing is, is that when he does get those takedowns, Moffat's gonna be getting back up or Mo- he won't be in a ton of danger. But that might force Barzola to now get multiple takedowns. And multiple takedowns is the key to breaking the DK slate. So for that reason, people are kind of getting off the Barzola bandwagon. There's no improvements. You know, it's hard to back a guy every time when it's like and the rest of the division's improving and he's not. Up the same me screaming yeah. at my TV going, take, go for a takedown. But you have to assume that I'm every, that every time he comes back in the gym after the fight and it's like, man, what are you doing? But in his mind, it's justified because it's like, I want, right? But now you come back to the dressing room and it's like, what were you doing? It's like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I didn't listen to anything you said. Go back to the gym, get back to the drawing board and you got to play to your strengths. And I feel like Matt Brown and that entire cast of ATT, that's what they're good at. They're getting their fighters to play to their strengths. Barzola just needs to do that. And uh, the last thing I'll I'll mention on it is, sorry, where is that fight? Is yeah, sorry. If it's a shitty South American decision, and this has got decision written all over it. This has got Barzola probably not. He might get outstruck, but he'll land the bigger strikes. And that's the kind of shit that when you look at the numbers, it's like, hey, Moffat, I think won this fight, but they'll give it to Barzola. In South America, so yeah. will they though? I think I think Do they we will. know I that Uruguay, the Uruguayans and Peruvians don't just hate each other, and they're just like never give a, a win to a Peruvian scum. I'll tell you something, right? How often does a New Zealand fighter get the special rub in Australia? And you went down to that part of the world for like six months or something, and you said you saw you're like they're not friends, they're rivals. Yeah. They don't like each other. But you give the guy a rub because fuck that Yankee. You know <laughs> what I mean? That's that's why you do it. Fair enough. All right, we got uh, heavyweight action moving on down the card. We've got Cyril Gane taking on Rafael Pessoa. Cyril Gane, minus 420 favorite, heavyweight debut, and he's 3-0. and Guy looks the part, though. Training partner, kind of training partner. Yeah, like, yeah. And Ganu's at the, uh, the, the, the Performance Institute these days. So I don't know how much... They really train together day in, day out, but he is listed as being a uh, uh, trained by Fernand Lopez, you know, the guy that you see at, uh, at yeah, yeah. And just and just and just to interject really quick, the only person that trains day in and day out with Francis Ngannou is the punching bag because, like, everybody else would be fucking dead. You yeah. can't train with him day in and day out, you'd be lucky to get sparring with him twice a month. Hundred percent. Um. So Gan Ghan- Gane is ninety four hundred minus four twenty favorite. Pessoa Rafael Pessoa. He's nine and zero. 
He's uh, 6,800 plus 335. Now, you know, the first thing that you usually think when you see these types of things is like heavyweight minus 420. Like the guy's 3-0. and oh, He's fought nobody. It's not entirely true. TKO, he's fought at least he's some... fought some decent guys. Decent guys. Yeah. Like his last guy, I forget the name, is Roger Souza or something, I yeah, believe. Yeah. He was 8-1 coming into it. He fought to Adam Dezico. He's like one of the better Adam Canadians. Adam Dixka, yeah, he was undefeated too. Yeah. He's got a weed test that they resulted of fighting to a loss. Sure. Stupidest thing. But yeah, yeah, no. This the, guy looks the part. He was one he of our better really, Canadians. Like, he actually looks legit. And he looks like somebody who is... Going to be a force, maybe, in, in heavyweight. It doesn't take much to be a force at heavyweight, as we have seen over the trials of time. Uh, where do we have this here? Yeah, he's 29 years old. And again, like, for heavyweight, that's uh, that's pretty young in the heavyweight division. He has a really nice jab. Striking looks on point. Looks super, super strong. He's not one of these fat guy heavyweights. I think he wins all day, but like laying minus 420 on a heavyweight when he's undefeated, taking on another undefeated heavyweight who kind of looks flabby a little. Like he's pretty decent on his feet for being a little bit flabby, this Pessoa guy. I think Cyril Gane wins. He, he knocks him out, looks good doing it, but it's really hard to, to lay a minus 420 on this type of guy. DraftKings, I could totally see. This pain, you get a knockdown, you get two knockdowns, something like that, and um, and a first round finish. Like I could totally see Gane doing it. I, I'm picking him to win, but yeah, the price a little bit too wide. I just I'm just never in the business of playing this type of heat on an unproven heavyweight long term. Yeah, and my problem is I got tunnel vision on Gagne. Like he's been one of my top prospects outside of the UFC ever since I watched him debut. I mean, he just seems like not only is he exactly what the division needs, but he's just something that they lack. He's young at 29. He's extremely mobile, which you just don't see at heavyweight for a big guy. And he's a potent striker. Well, in every other division, wrestling is it. It's key. It's the dominant martial art. And at heavyweight, yeah, that theory is still kind of there. Cain Velasquez ran the division. Cormier, he's a wrestler. Stipe knows how to wrestle. Those but guys are all to old. Use that wrestling just to keep people off. At, at heavyweight, heavyweight, the mold will become stuff the takedown yeah. and smash this guy into oblivion. Yep. And that, that's the mold we're starting to see. And that's the mold that this Cyril Gagne is going to do exactly that. Cyril Gagne uh, was signed by the TKO organization in Quebec to debut in a world heavyweight title fight against Adam Dixka, right? Dixka's like 6-0 at the time. Cyril Gagne, he's like 42-3 and or something. I did my back check on him then as a Muay Thai fighter. He was sick as a Muay Thai fighter. Like, this guy's lighting people up. He's making his MMA debut in a title fight against probably the number two or three best Canadian heavyweight at the time. Um, like, bad, bad news, man, bad news. Now, Dixka gets hurt, and a good personal friend of mine, Bobby Sullivan, takes the fight. Now, Bobby Sullivan's 250. He's 6'4". I've been down in New York with this guy a pile of times, up and down upstate New York, smashing whoever they put in front of him. He's legitimate. Bobby could take a punch. He's a big, thick, solid dude. A really, You'll never meet a nicer guy in the world. Bloody Bobby. He takes this fight with Gagne, and it was like one of the few times where it's like you're kind of like deep down, you're like, shit. This might not, I don't want to see my friend get fucked up. Bobby got fucked up. It wasn't even comparable. Bobby is a, is a good fighter. He's a good fighter. It wasn't even the same level. Then he gets the Dixka fight. He murders Adam Dixka, mm-hmm. who's never even faced adversity in his fights. Yeah. Murders. And this guy him. looks So legit. now they now they fly in an eight and one Brazilian guy who on paper looks the part. And he 
murders him. His uppercut. If you want to try to take him I down, I liked his jab dip. watching that Souza fight. Just like he's so fast, elusive, aware of like the other guy's throwing heaters, and he is like he, he, he sees everything that coming. Range. Within two minutes, he had and he complete can, control of that fight. He can close close. the gap quick. And that guy could take damage the roger souza guy yeah but he and got, it he, didn't matter it's like event you knew what was going to happen and he took his time to like to find that finish too without going like without going berserker mode he yeah didn't have yeah to. He yeah knew that it's just like eventually this guy's just the ref's gonna be forced to sympathy stop this he he has a lot of similarities in a way to francis and go yeah. but they're not the same guy francis has got the power and this guy's got the speed yeah. francis just hits you the one time and you fold over and this guy hits you three times and you fold over but it's massively effective. And again, he's been one of the top rated prospects going so far. So then I was like, okay, well, we can't just we can't just suck on his balls and not even looking up Basoa. Basoa's a ground guy. He's got to get the fight to the ground. As far as him standing goes, I just think he's way too robotic. He'll get he's gonna get knocked down the first round. Uh, robot, I don't know if robotic's the right term. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe he's not. throwing like spinning stuff. He's yeah, you're right. It's just got, a telegraph he's got to me was probably from the, the better. That he kind of uses like he for a for a flabby guy, he moves pretty well. But like I just he's think he's going so to be ungunned. giving up a lot of mobility, speed, everything like that. Because Gagne is just like a different tier. That's what I. That's what I see. Right. It, it just you almost get the impression that one guy's kind of that future. And then and, and here was the other thing that I really noticed that kind of had me off about uh, Rafael Pessoa. But Rafael Pessoa turns pro in 2016. He's 30 years old. Turns pro in 2016, and he effectively fights all of his fights. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He fought seven times in 2017. Once. In 2018, and has not fought since then. He's been off for a year. He's lamb to the slaughter, and he's local because he's from Brazil, and he's coming in to get bashed up. UFC doesn't sign guys that are three and zero, you know. But they signed a guy here who's three and zero because he's Francis Ngannou's training partner, and we've we've heard the rave reviews from him. And at three and zero, we're bringing him in. He's a minus four twenty over an unbeaten Brazilian with a nice looking record. Yeah. But I think he smokes him. I think he smokes him. You're right. That LFA fight that was the last one I saw with Pessoa beat Brian Hedin. Brian Hedin's got the worst looking record is a tough guy. And he dices him out of there just by being that bully. But yep. but you're going to need more than just physicality and straightforward yeah. movement to beat Surreal Gagne. Surreal moves a lot better than uh, Hadeen. <laughs> Brian Hadeen. So <laughs> I, I think when he steps off the center line and nails him with that uppercut, he should fold him up, and that would be it. <clears throat> 9400 got to pay to play, brother. That's the way it is. 420 I like I like the DK price more. I'm searching for a first-round knockout. I'm going to pay up for it. The 420 I got a debuting heavyweight with only three fights, taking going all the way to South America. Like I do see what you're saying, um, but yeah, he, he's very clearly the pick. Yeah. All right, we move on down. We've got Tisha Torres taking on Marina, uh, Marina Rodriguez. Tisha Torres is 8,700 minus 150 favorite. Marina Rodriguez, 7,500. And plus 130, who you got here? Again, this is another one. It's hard to gauge Tisha Torres because she's losing her fights to the absolute best of the best. So, you know, you can't take too much away from her. It's just that we've seen the limitations here. Her being like five foot one, you know, I think she, I think it didn't matter in the beginning. Like her striking was good enough. American kickboxing background, a little bit of karate in there, a little bit of taekwondo in there. And you know what? She's a decent grappler. She's extremely durable. Almost all of her fights always go to decision. But she's a contender. She's someone that's in the mix. And then now you're just kind of seeing that there's a level above where she's at, and she's just not able to overcome that talent gap. What I don't like is the last couple of fights is that she's not getting her punches off. I mean, almost whatsoever. She's someone who, she's at her best, the division's elite, though. very true, very true. But at her best, she can land 80, 90 significant strikes per fight, maybe mix in a couple takedowns. I mean, she got taken down 10 times by Jessica Andrade. 
but she scored two of her own. Like, again, she can grapple. It's just when you're fighting the best all the time, maybe you're not going to look that good. Last wins over Michelle Watterson. So, again, you know, like, the skill is there. But it's that last fight with Wei Li Zhang. Here's somebody who, theoretically, maybe you're a better striker than them, but you got to have that grappling advantage. Wei Li Zhang's too big, too strong, too physical, tosses her when she wants to, keeps her off when she wants to, and just has her way in out, points her. In some ways, that's what I'm worried about with Marina Rodriguez. Marina Rodriguez is like six inches taller and has a six and a half inch reach advantage. Her fight with Jessica Aguilar, yeah, Aguilar short notice and completely shot to bits and doesn't even shoot any takedowns. But like she just keeps her at bay and she just annihilates her, like 111 significant strikes. If you want to stay on the outside, you got some trouble. The, the fight with Ronda Marcos, Marcos 10-8s her in the first round mm -hmm. with the takedowns. But when she's not getting the takedowns, well, Marina Rodriguez is a handful. Wins the two and three, and that's why she ends up with the draw. She's 2-0-1 in the UFC, and I like what I see. Now with, with uh, Tisha Torres, well, Tisha Torres could have as much output, but giving up that six and a half inches on the reach department, giving up the six inches on the, on the height department, it's going to be an issue. Tisha almost has to go for the takedown. She has to force that takedown. She can take Rodriguez down. But shooting one or two in the fight's not going to be enough. Because what I'm seeing with Rodriguez is, I think Ronda Marcos gets her down two of five attempts. But second and third round, she just stops shooting the takedowns. And Jessica Aguilar, Jessica Aguilar can only shoot takedowns and grapple. Shoots one single takedown. So it's her opponent's fighting bad game plans is the reason why she's getting these wins. She's 32. She's not a prospect. Took her a long time to get to the UFC. She wins a contender series fight, gets to the UFC finally. But I, I don't know that I would consider her a prospect. Torres, definitely not a prospect, but a gatekeeper, a good gatekeeper in this division. So this one seems like a complete stay away. You want nothing mm -hmm. to do with it. Torres at 8,700. She is the biggest decision machine of all time. You want nothing to do no. with that. And, and Rodriguez at 75. Her volume isn't very big. If she's, if she's giving up that many inches in reach, she's going to be staying a long distance where she has no chance of hitting her opponent. And then she's going to be darting in, right? She she's going to have the yeah. speed yeah, advantage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She she'll has stay the, to the outside. against most people. She's going right. to stay to the outside. And then she'll dart It's going to be DraftKings cancer. You don't want nothing. That's what, okay. You want nothing to do with it's this It's dog fight. or pass on DraftKings. I actually, I, I, I'm picking Torres to win. I just think it's kind of unfair. You know, she's fighting. We don't know how good Zhang is yet. We'll see. When she's she, good. We'll see. We'll she's see how good. good she is when she goes in there against uh, against Andrade. And then yeah, <laughs> that like, will be lose, a good indicator. Losing to the other top, uh, losing to Andrade and losing to uh, to Joanna Yeah, Jacek. it's just like man, you're fighting literally the best of the best. Marina Rodriguez is a step down. I like Torres to win. I don't. I haven't seen a uh, decision prop. Maybe it's all decision <laughs> all the time. If they give you like a plus one hundred on it, maybe that's how I would play <laughs> of this course, fight. Of course. Um. But yeah, it's it's a stay away on DraftKings. Pretty clear. I think we're on the same page. Let's uh, move on to the uh, flyweight division. We have Rogerio Bontorin taking on Rowley and Pava. Bontorin is eighty two hundred. Uh, Pava is eight thousand. It's a straight pick em, and I don't feel like I have even the slightest of edge in this fight. What about you? Yeah, it's a straight pick em, so, I mean, either side's good. If you look at it on, this is a 50-50 fight, and it is a straight pick em on the money line, and Pava's two, $200 cheaper than let's try with, with Pava. And I think Pava's got a, Roley on Pava's got a good shot at winning this fight, to be honest. 18-2. and two. Paul, this is what, uh, we'll just start with his little history, because I'm sure most of our listeners probably aren't familiar with this guy whatsoever. But he starts fighting pro at 17 years old, and now he's only 23, and he's also he's got eight, 18 and two. He's got 20 pro fights accumulated over the time of since 2013. You know, five or six years in the game, he's already fought 20. 
starts off his career 6-0, loses a fight to, to Luan Laceda. Totally not a big deal. Submitted in the third round, fine. It, it's recently since then. He's got seemingly infinite amount of cardio. Like, he's just always on you. He's always coming at you. His striking seems to be his bread and butter, only he's not a very refined striker. The other thing I don't like about him is he almost never goes to the body. It's head hunting with winging punches all the time. And whereas that, that's not the most technical approach, he gets away with it because he, he, he's aggressive. He's on you at all times. He's a tiny little dude. Like he looks very skinny at 125 pounds, but he's five foot eight. That's why he looks skinny. And he just marches guys down. So they sign him to fight on Dana White's contender series. He takes on Alan Nascimento. It's, they're both 125ers. When you see the fight, Nascimento is way bigger than him. And it's a very good fight. If you just like watching fights for watching fights, go back and watch this fight. It's a very, very, very entertaining fight. Both of them have their moments. But Pava never relents. Now, the thing here is that Pava's known as, a, well, he's, he's referred to as a purple belt. And he won one single state title as a purple belt. Nascimento's got the grappling advantage. Nascimento gets him down. Nascimento tries to grapple. But what I like about Pava Paul is even when he gets taken down, he scrambles right away and he gets back up. You fish for a leg lock, he'll get back up. You fish for an armbar, he gets out of it. He seems to be good at scrambling. His pro loss, yeah, I mean, before the K-Car fronts, which we'll get to, is by submission. Which he won. But he's worked, yeah, he's worked, he's worked a lot on, on his grappling. So even though he's just a purple belt and he's not known for his grappling, the guy can, he can hold his own, so to speak. Against Nascimento, he defends the, the submissions, he defends the takedowns, and he beats the shit out of him standing. It's a split decision win for Pava, but I thought he won a unanimous. Dana White's on his feet. He applauds, he, after the second round, he's on his feet. First round, he's just applauding. Second round, he's on his feet. Third round, he's on his feet. And he signs Pava. Let's go. Sends Pava all the way down to, to Australia on short notice mm -hmm. to take on Kaikar France. And he got a bad rub. And you know something? He outstruck Kaikar France standing. The, the difference was Kaikar France was landing the big shot. Like he'd rock his head back with right hands, left hands. But this kid took everything. Not phased in the slightest bit. He just, he, he's got an incredible chin and he's always coming forward. Kaikar France can wrestle and he's got good jiu-jitsu. But whenever he tries to take the guy down, he either gets stuffed or Pava gets back up. When Pava gets back up, he makes him pay every single time. Now, France is a big favorite in that spot. He's technically getting a home outing, although, Felix just like I said, Australia, New Zealand. Littered all over my parlays. And he's on everybody's parlays. That's how and little respect we're giving Pava. But that's the story of and Pava. And I... That, that was one of the ones when you Lucky. complain, when you complain about like... Oh, I can never get any of these close split decisions. Like, I got robbed. That's the one I remember. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh yeah, I, I completely did not deserve that one. So, fair enough. But so Pava loses, and then again, it's like, oh, now here's an Owen one UFC fighter. He's only 23 years old. He's too young. He's one of those Brazilian guys off contender series. He doesn't deserve to be here. But at 125, he's he's a nice little prospect because he's still young. And again, I mean, he's got infinite cardio. He's super exciting, and he's improving daily. So I don't mind him. Now we got Bonterin, and Bonterin is in a similar position. They've both got, they're both one fight into the UFC. Both of them are in really close split decisions where one guy ended up winning. In Bonterin's case, he got the win over Bulatov. In Pava's case, he got the loss against Care France, but they're young-ish, similar in their career. Bonterin's the grappling guy. Uh, his jiu-jitsu's, it's pretty good. Yeah, he got submitted by Michinori Tanaka, but outside of that, I mean, if he gets you to the ground, you're going to be in trouble. Uh, that's he's a black belt as opposed to the purple belt for Pava, so he's going to have that grappling advantage, and he's a shorter, stockier, seemingly more powerful, structured guy. If you look at his Dana White contender series stuff, like I'm talking about, like Farmers, 
pig farming. That's what he does. He feeds pigs on a farm. He also takes care of some livestock like horses. So Bontran's a very strong physical guy. But when he fights on Dana White's contender series, he gets fucked up, man. Gustavo Gabriel wins the first round. Gustavo Gabriel is well on his way to knocking Bontran out in the second round. Bontran is just on skates. Skates, skates, skates. And then ends up falling into a takedown. Puts his hooks in. Grabs a rear naked choke. Chokes this guy out, gets the win. Crazy. You got to give him a contract based on that. That was crazy. Okay, he gets the contract. He debuts against Magomed Babulatov. I had the first round score of Babulatov, right? He scored all the better strikes. In fact, all the strikes were towards him. He scored two takedowns. But on the second takedown, Bontran hits a sweep and ends up on top for like two minutes. Not a whole lot's done with it, but he's on top for two minutes. They're in Brazil. Brazil gives Bontran the round. Second round, Babulatov beats him up handedly. It's definitely a Babulatov second round. The third round, Babulatov is winning the fight, and with like 45 seconds left, Bontran scores a takedown. He immediately transitions to the back, does nothing with it, just lies on the back, mm-hmm. and he gets a Brazilian decision. At the time, and I had Babulatov in a lot of places, at the time I agreed Bontran won the fight. But upon rewatching the fight two or three times, I don't think he won the fight. Mm-hmm. He got touched up all over the place. His takedowns weren't him getting takedowns. The first one is Babulatov screwing up a hip throw on off a kick. The second time around, it's just like there's 45 seconds left in the fight. Babulatov thinks he's winning and is tired, so he doesn't go for it. But against Pava, Pava doesn't get tired. And Pava's always scrambling. And Pava's a much better striker than this guy. He's going to tire him out. He'll bop him up. If he does get taken down, he'll just last, get back up, make this guy work. Yeah, 50-50 fight, totally agree. I got to take one of them. I'm going to go with Pava, and I think Pava could actually score pretty decent here, all things considered. He's only 8,000. scrambly mess, which is good yes, for points. Yeah. scrambly mess. And also, you know what? The, he, what I like about, we talk about ring IQ and this and that. Pava's got good ring IQ. If you take him down, he'll get back up, he'll smash you with three, four punches, and he'll try to take your ass down. Yeah, I was impressed with him. Because he's always trying to get points back. You know, he's a guy that just goes, 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 goes. So one guy got a win over a good prospect in his debut on a greasy split, and one guy lost to an okay prospect on a greasy split. But but I'm going with the guy that lost. Humbling experience. He's only 23. He's a younger guy. I expect him to continue to make improvements. I'd love to see him go to the body. And I'd love to see him, you know, tighten up a little bit. But I think that aggression and that cardio gas tank, I think that'll carry him for the victory over Bontrin here. So sign me up with Pava. Geraldo DeFreitas takes on Chris Gutierrez. Geraldo DeFreitas, 8,300, minus 130 favor. Chris Gutierrez is 7,900 and plus 110. Uh, Geraldo Freitas, uh, DeFreitas coming off of the win against Felipe Calares, where he just wrestle-fucked him all fight, scored 127 points. It was pretty good. It was, it was pretty imp- I was impressed for whatever level of MMA you want to call it. Like, I actually picked Calares. I thought Calares was going to have... The grappling advantage. Uh, the grappling yeah. advantage, and he did not. It was not close. Calares goes out afterwards, and... Takes on Dom Polarte and and pulls off the upset victory there. So it's like, okay, Geraldo DeFreitas, got to give you some respect. Chris Gutierrez, well, the problem with this guy DraftKings-wise, and I promised myself after that fight against Ryan McDonald, who was, like, lost on the feet. Yeah, It's just yeah, like, you know was... what? Chris Gutierrez doesn't have the finishing capability for me to feel good about playing him on DraftKings. Uh, moving forward he is 7900 that's not to say that he can't win this fight um i think he's got the striking advantage i imagine it's going to be i don't know if geraldo de freitas's uh wrestling game is going to translate well to taking down chris gutierrez i am picking chris gutierrez but DraftKings wise 7900 it's just like 
I see him scoring like 65 points type of thing yeah. in a victory if he does get the victory here. So um haven't decided whether I'm going to bet Gutierrez, but uh, that's the way I'm leaning at this time. What about you? Yeah, I think I got to go with uh, Gutierrez as well. But you know what? This is probably a good stay away. Geraldo de Freitas makes me worried in some spots, being that, yeah, he's the grappler. He seems to be the grappler. And that's the way to beat Gutierrez. Gutierrez is a slick striker. He's got a nasty kick game. He's got nice punches. He's a good counter puncher. He lacks a little bit of power, but he's a sharp technical striker. It's being able to wear on him, get him up against the cage, and take him down. Like That's the way to beat this guy. And Geraldo de Freitas, from what we have seen from him, that's the game plan. The other thing is de Freitas seemingly is a worse grappler than his opponent his first time out against Corrales. Doesn't matter. He makes it work for himself, right? But that fight's at 145 pounds. I get his opponent wasn't really 145 either. But he didn't like out of place at 45. Now he's coming back to 35, where that's his natural weight class. He's the Shudo Brazil 135-pound champ, and he's going to want to rely on grinding against Gutierrez. So I think Gutierrez, if this is in America, Gutierrez outpoints him just by virtue of he's going to land the better strikes. Maybe he gets taken down here and there, but the American judges will see he landed the better shots while the fight was standing, as opposed to a little bit of takedowns. I don't think he gives up any damage off takedowns, but I I, I do conceive to the notion that he might give up some takedowns. I, I get it. But in South America, I don't know. I just I can't trust that quite as much. So, you know, it's dog or pass for me personally, and I want to take the dog. But like you said, when you don't have that finishing ability to put this guy away, you're gonna you, get you a lot of you're gonna get a lot around. of greasy decisions because you're allowing the guy to stick around. You're gonna and, and if you're not hurting him, McDonald, Ryan McDonald should not have been there. And nope. he was right there, prime for the picking to get knocked out. And he hit him with the kitchen sink, and he could put this guy down, mm-hmm. right? So maybe Ryan McDonald's chin was better than we thought, or maybe Gutierrez's. Yeah, for is sure, just... it was better than we thought, but like, yeah, he, that was a sitting duck, man. He was just sitting there. You like, got to put you this just guy have to away. like plow forward and just land enough volume that the ref goes, oh, "Okay, we got to stop this at this point." But he didn't really seem to have that killer instinct. Well, yeah, he's mean? a smart guy, you know, yeah. and it, because he's a smart guy, I think I think that also leads to I'm going to take my time and pick this guy if he's fighting smart, for a smart guys don't typically make good drafts. Kings plays. No, no. <laughs> yeah, and if this is the contender series, you could win and not get a contract off it. Like, yeah. they want to see that little bit of aggression. But, yeah, there's certain things I'm worried about. The other thing, too, is that Gutierrez has got a really good kick game. You know, he sets up his punches well with his kicks, kick from the outside, and it's just a good way to accumulate points in what's relatively close fights, right? But, again, if I'm worried about his opponent just looking to take him down at all times, I don't know that he's going to give one up. When he fought my boy Rowney Barcelos, like, Barcelos is the king, as far as I'm concerned. You're not going to get any better. It's a little old. But this is this is my dude. And Gutierrez cuts him up. Like he blades him in the first round. Second round, he gives up the takedown and he gets submitted. But Ryoni Barcellos and this guy, uh Geraldo de Freitas, they're nowhere near the same spectrum. Like no. nowhere near. So am I saying, geez, Gutierrez got takedown problems. Against a guy like Barcellos, yeah, against Barcellos he got takedown problems. Against De Freitas, maybe he just keeps it standing. If he keeps it standing, I find it shocking that he would lose his fight in a pure stand-up battle. So I'm going to go with Gutierrez, reluctantly. Close enough fight, I suppose. And on the DK line, I think you're pretty accurate. I would pass it. Especially, especially knowing his opponent's not just going to stand there with him the way McDonald did. you got a guy that's continuously trying to pursue the takedown and slow things down. You're not going to score as much. We've got Alex De Silva taking on Rodrigo Vargas. Alex De Silva is 9,200 minus 265 favorite. Rodrigo Vargas, 7,000 and plus 225. Alex De Silva, last time out, took on Alexander Legia Kovlev. It was 155 as well. Um, Over in Russia, 
took uh and you know he he won round one won round one pretty clearly he's he kind of gassed and by kind i mean he did gas fully and, and completely it looked pretty bad now a tough spot obviously you're a brazilian guy they're flying you all the way to over to mother russia take on a, Ru- a russian rap superstar like the, the thunder like ties. the thunder of the north but i don't know man um that left a sour taste in my mouth when you've got him at minus 265 and 9200 here um rodrigo vargas watched uh, the tape that was available to me there's a massive post right in the way of him knocking out your boy remember our boy uh mike delatore back in the day yeah falls him like 18 out. seconds but dude you can't see what he sets it up because there's literally like a pole right in the way yeah, of it yeah. so i don't see what he did with his hands to set up that head kick but he he knocks him clean out um honestly punt play Rodrigo Vargas, I have no real complete edge here. I just think this line's a little bit too wide. I wouldn't lay the big juice on Alex De Silva. Um, and in GPPs, Rodrigo Vargas, if he can knock out Mike Delatore, who's to say he can't knock out Alex De Silva? Like, are those guys really at that much of a different level of comp or of uh, ability? Probably not. I'm not laying minus two sixty five on Silva. I'm considering. Uh, Rodrigo Vargas, a uh, little small play, plus 225, because YOLO, bro. Yeah, hey, fair enough, because I can tell it. this could be a greasy fight. This could be a fight where one guy's at 265, so you take uh, everybody's word for it, and he's not quite that good. Like, yeah, dude, I completely get it. But Rodrigo Vargas, from what I've seen, is not... You, I can't take no fly route on him. Like, I would have to say that uh, the Alex Da Silva... It's just, he's faster. Alex he's a little fucking sucks, man. Listen, listen, totally agree. In <laughs> fact, it's not only the Yakovlev fight that Yakovlev he loses. He's fought in what, like three, four years? Yeah, but he's also perhaps one of the biggest lightweights you've ever seen in your life. And this kid put it on him in the first round. And then unfortunately, he gasped. He took a fight on a week's notice in Russia against the biggest lightweight of all times. What's going to happen, Paul? What's going to happen? You get tired. He got submitted in the second round with that guillotine choke. Cool little, like, neck crank of the. Whatever, doesn't matter. Gets caught in the second round, and so be it. So you know what they do? They say, okay, <clears throat> let's send him all the way down to South America, and we're going to put him up against that Rafael Fazeev. Because the guy's like a neat little Muay Thai fighter. He, too, I believe, is from Kyrgyzstan, but spent some time in South America, I think, I don't know. Sure. Whatever. But Fazeev pulls out, and because he pulls out, they need somebody last minute. And because they need somebody last minute, and they're scrambling. That's the only reason Rodrigo Vargas got signed here. Like, he shouldn't be here. He's 33 years old. He hasn't fought in a year and a half. And he's pulled out of his last two fights for Combate Americas with an injury. His last two fights, Paul. He beat Delatore like, 17 months ago. Now he's 33, taking a fight on a week's notice in the UFC against a 23-year-old kid who actually just gave a round to a, against Yakovlev his last fight out in Russia. Like... You should pass. 265 is way You're too much. Crazy no, no, no. 265 is way too much. And the DK pricing, like, I don't even like this guy enough to say he's going to go out there and knock out Vargas. I, I I totally get it. Pass on that perspective. But he's the rightful favorite. Like, Vargas is not the favorite. I know fucking we're almost, sense. We're almost three to one. That's yeah, like, I, I get it, you know? I don't agree with it, but in some small sense, I, I do. I Like, I'm fully understanding why this guy's the favorite. If this is anybody else taking the fight on a week's notice, 33 shouldn't be here. I get it. I get it. He's going to need to just clip this guy and knock him out. And unfortunately, we haven't seen that from him. He's going to have to have some killer ground game because this guy, you want, the way to beat him, you got to take him down. Or just let him be fucking tired because he's a gas can. Yeah, but now he's got a full gas. He's, he's the one with the camp. You think Maybe Vargas has op- got a, Vargas has no camp? 
He's taking the fight on a week's notice. Who's to say that Alex is Silva it even matters? Maybe the having having no camp didn't even fucking matter. Maybe he just has a minute, or maybe he has seven minutes of gas, and that's it. I think when you're standing in the middle of the octagon for the very first time, that affects the gas tank, the nerves, the energy. That's that's huge. And then taking the fight on a week's notice, that affects the gas tank, you know. And then having Alexander motherfucking Yakovlev, who's gigantic, by world the way, for the, for the weight class, he's huge. You have this man on top of you, going to affect the gas tank. I'm going to give him a pass on gassing out. If he gasses out here, he's, he's got a serious problem on his hands. But he, 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 I, don't, I don't see him blowing it. I just really disagree with the price like you're, uh, like you're getting at. All right, we got uh, one of the best fights on the card. We have Alexei Kunchenko taking on Gilbert Burns. I'm not sure about the bout order. I've been following the uh, the topology this week, so it hasn't been uh, as out of date. But like, this should be moved further up the card, in my opinion. This is on a card of, like this. This, this is, is this is the honestly, third fight like from the top. Third, fourth fight. Yeah. Best fight I'd say card. co-main, but I really like the co-main, so I'd put it up there. It's main card, no doubt. So we have Konchenko, 8,800, minus 145 favorite. Burns, 7,400, plus 125. What's your take here, Cody? Yeah, so I've been kind of going back and forth on this one a little bit, but ultimately it's going to be the weight jump, I think, that I'm going to side with. Uh, Gilbert Burns, I mean, as far as his jiu-jitsu goes, we all know that he's one of the better guys, 155 pounds, with his jiu-jitsu. He's been spending a tremendous amount of time working on his striking, to try to get his striking to that same level so that he could be one of those versatile, you know, I'll outstrike you, I don't ever have to worry about you trying to take me down kind of fires. It just hasn't really translated. But what he does have at 155 is he's massive. Like, at some point, he'll just drag you to the ground. When he drags you to the ground, you're in his world, and it's very hard to get him off of you, and how are you going to deal with it? But moving up to 170 pounds, it, you lose a lot of those advantages. You know, you coming in with that size, you being the bigger man, you kind of gets away from you yeah there's a lot of good examples of people that have moved up to a weight class and had success but those guys aren't moving up and having success based on being the bigger guy still they're moving up based on i'm faster now and i have better cardio now and i just don't know that that translates with burns the other thing is burns is taking it on a week's notice so after his last fight he he claims i'm done with 55 i'm going to 170 all right burns is done so we know that the move is imminent anyways but this is a short notice fight, so I more so more so feel like his hand was forced. Hey, you said you want to fight at 170. We have a late notice opportunity for you. Do you want to fight at 170? When he's fighting at 55, he was cutting something like 30, 40 pounds. So there still is going to be a weight cut at 170 that will somehow affect him a little bit, <clears throat> but it shouldn't be that much. Konchenko, when he was M1, I had to work all of his M1 fights. Dude looked like a legitimate prospect. The one thing I always was worried about is he's older. Like, he wasn't some 24, 25-year-old M1 champion prospect. He's in his 30s, and he's got good power, and he's got good takedown defense, but he almost just seems, like, average at times. Unless he touches you and puts you away, there's just not a whole lot going on. And then as far as his UFC career has gone, Thiago Alves, like, this is a layup for you, and you don't look good whatsoever. And then again in his next fight against Yushin Okami, like, we've given you two Golden Age veterans that shouldn't be able to hang with a guy with power like yours. And again, Konchenko just can't put them away. The thing is, though, is that when you look at his team of, of guys that he trains with, you know, the Alexander Shlomenko, it's Alexander Shlomenko's team out in Russia. It's like they got a lot of guys who are, just, yeah, who are just brute sambo and wrestling specialists who just peel you to the ground. And Konchenko is not that. He never shoots all his own takedowns. He only looks to stand and doesn't even kick. Mostly just throws his hands, his left hand, his right hand. But training with those guys, 
it's hard to take him down. And when you don't take him down, you now have to stand with him. And even though it's not like murderous one-punch power, like he closes distance, he fights you in short range, and it adds up, and it does damage. His cardio has never been an issue. He, he'd, he'd score, you know, late knockouts when he was an M1 champion in those later rounds. And so far in the UFC, didn't look good against Alves. We'll make the excuse that's his debut. Looked better against Okami. But again, it's Okami. Then I'm a little bit worried for him here in Burns. If he ends up on, his, on the ground with Gilbert Burns on top of him, he's in a lot of mm-hmm. shit. Also, Burns is younger than him. Burns is probably a little faster than him. But this is why, even though I've been flipping back and forth, like I said, this is why I'm going to go with Kinchenko. Burns will strike well for the first two, three minutes. Then he gets open. He, he gets loopy. Really he gets wild. Either. He doesn't have the wrestling to get Kinchenko down, and he doesn't have the striking to strike with him for a prolonged period. You can, you can strike with him, just not for a prolonged period. If this fight's at 55... It could be like the cowboy fight. Burns is getting his ass kicked, but then he eventually gets the fight to the ground. But at 170, the chances of you just peeling the guy to the ground are less now. Kinchenko's bigger than you. He's stronger than you. And he trains with damn he good wrestling. He needs to force him up against the cage and grab his back or like grab a limb, try to, try to scramble that way. Like He's not going to get like a double leg takedown. No, and with Kinchenko being 20-0, and it's like we haven't seen him exposed in those areas, which is why it's appealing to maybe go with Burns and say, hey, I've never seen this guy with the BJJ expert on his back. I've never seen this guy with somebody on top of him, holding him down, tiring him out. And I did watch him fight uh, Alexander Buterin one time. Um, oh, Batenko, sorry, Buterin's on this card. Batenko, Alexander Batenko in, uh, in M1 one time. And he loses the first round, doesn't look good. But by the third and fourth round, like as he starts to grind on his opponent, who's got 50 fights as an older veteran, it just falls right apart. But I don't know that Gilbert Burns is... He's not shopworn. He's fighting some good fights right now. Uh, when he's not fighting in MMA, like, he took on... He had a... He was on the Titan FC card in a grappling match with Glyson Tebow. And he submits Glyson Tebow in, like, three minutes, like, mm-hmm. effortlessly. Like, you don't do that. No, Who does really- that? This guy's jiu-jitsu is extremely good. So, Kinchenko could be in an absolute world of shit. I just don't have the faith in Burns. But for $7,400, um, yeah. if you're flying multiple lineups, at least... Check it out. See what happens. I and then the, like, the plus I, I, 125. I like, yeah, like he's also dog money. Like, fuck, that's why you keep going back and forth. It's like, I definitely see the pass for him. It's that he's somebody that's very frustrating to watch at times. I be okay with it for him. I think that could help the gas. But I his think- biggest advantage outside of his ground games is size. And without that, I, I just I can't get around. It, his wrestling, like you said, doesn't have good wrestling. How is he going to get the fight to the ground? Yeah. It's, I... I I almost hope that, like, yeah, they get up against the cage and he jumps on his back. Like, could that's be. kind could of be. what you're hoping yeah, for. Could like be. a standing, a standing rear naked choke is getting set up, and then Kunchenko tries to like slam to his back just to try to get out of it, and that's how you. Wrap but I it remember, all up. Like, I remember Burns against Powellock. What was his name? Powell Powellock. Powell Powellock, and he's rocked. Mm-hmm. Then he gets him to the ground. He submits him like nothing. And the Giagos fights like holy shit. The second it hits the ground, he submits him Same like against, nothing. Uh, Cowboy Alex Oliveira. Oliveira beat him pillar to post. And the second it hit the ground, he Billy, submitted him. Yeah. But at 170, if you if that pillar to post beating occurs and you don't get the fight to the ground, it's not going to be good. And we've seen Burns pillar to post ass kicked and doesn't shoot takedowns. It's very frustrating sometimes. I find so, it interesting that Burns took this fight, to be perfectly honest. He hasn't been a short notice guy in the past. No. He's... He's actually been pulled from fights in the past because of, you know, weight cut issues trying to get to 155. My greasy theory on it is that last night they were like, 
Shit, we got Herbert Burns. If Gil don't take the fight, let's just let's just replace him and say uh, nobody will even notice. We got Herbert. We got his brother now. We're good. Yeah. But no, uh, all jokes aside, Gilbert Burns, talented guy. It's just I, I really struggle with the game plan sometimes. And when you fall in love with your striking and you're too willing to strike, it'll blow up in your face. Kinchenko yeah. hits harder than Paul Pollock. Yeah. Uh, he arguably hits harder than Cowboy Oliveira. And he's got a lot of nice little knockouts on his record. He extends you into the later rounds and hurts you. For that reason, I, I love the value on Burns. But this is the good fight. And that's why, just like you yeah. said, main card fight. Well, why would people not want to watch this? Whatever, I don't, I don't set the bout orders. Yeah, um, I'm picking Burns, um, but yeah, it's super, super close. I'm not going to be shocked either way. But 7,400 Gilbert Burns. I mean, his game, what hit, what should be his game plan is lining up yeah, for yeah, him he, to score more than 74 points. He's he's one of the more appealing looking dogs. Just like he's no going to try to keep him on the outside. He's going to try, try to maintain distance yeah, and and, and box him up. up like 8800. It's just he's got to cover a lot of ground. He's he's got to be a super an absolute war for him to pay off the the, the price tag there. So Burns as a DraftKings play. We'll see how he looks at the weigh-ins uh, and where this line goes as the week goes on. But I, I, I really actually want to bet Gilbert Burns. And finally, we have uh, the most interesting one from like a game theory perspective on this card. We have Pollyanna Vienna taking on Veronica Macedo, 8,600 for Pollyanna Vienna, who is a plus 105 underdog. Line has flipped since open. Veronica Macedo, who is loser of three straight fights... Is seventy six hundred and minus one twenty five. Um, here's the game theory thing, or my my mentality about game theory. If everybody, because this is what happens on DraftKings, everyone is going to play Veronica Macedo because she's a favorite and she's seventy six hundred dollars. It's pretty much straight pick them at this point. Her style does not lend to scoring any sort of points. What, is she going to score like 50 points in a decision victory in this spot? Mm, let me bring it up. Go on. She's super I'm small. She's undersized. I'm not saying play Pollyanna Vienna. I'm saying just avoid this fight altogether. Because if like 40, 35, 40% of people end up on Macedo and she scores like 52 points in a victory, good on you. You got the win. It's not going to kill you at the end of the night, but you're not winning the big bucks either. Um, this is one of those spots where, yeah, if everyone just starts piling on because of the odds and what the odds look like, like, I don't think this was a very good DraftKings play, especially from the Macedo side. Like she's going to try to counter punch and, and, and edge out like a, a close victory here. So, um, yeah, it's a full out, full out pass to me. I would be more intrigued by Vienna who I, who has finishing abilities in the past, early finishing abilities yeah. in the past, and, and one time nobody is going, nobody's going to own an 8,600 plus 105 underdog. Yeah, 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 fair enough. Line opens, and I think, holy shit, I'm going to take Veronica Macedo. She's the underdog. She's 0-3 in the UFC. That's why you're getting the pricing. I watched the tape. I watched the film. I like Veronica Macedo. I think she's going to win. And then... Yeah, that's the line flip. Same thing. People are putting money on Veronica Macedo, probably because they're getting to this point in their week where they're doing the tape study for that fight. And uh, path to victory is there. 0-3 in the UFC, you're getting a good price. But Veronica Macedo gets taken down in all of her fights. It happens every time. She can't wrestle. She can't really grapple. This has the writing on the wall. It's the exact same thing. Paul and Viana, they always say, 
BJJ 2015 BJJ World Champion, 21 state titles in Brazil, black belt, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. She can't wrestle, like absolutely cannot wrestle. Then the other thing is, kind of like we're talking about Gilbert Burns, she's relying on her striking more, and her striking is not good. She's got three weapons. She's got an inside low kick, she's got a left body kick, and she's got like the right hand. She hardly throws combinations. If she does throw combinations, the first four or five will 100% miss. And then whatever she punctuates the end of the combination with usually comes through. But anyways, her strike is not very good. Her wrestling is not very good. Her cardio is not very good. She is not able to switch to a plan B. Uh, this becomes very evident in the J.J. Aldrich fight. So she wins her debut against uh, uh, Joe Stevenson's wife. And then she gets that fight against J.J. Aldrich. The fight with J.J. Aldrich, yeah, same thing. J.J. is a better striker than you. Not really known for her grappling. Paulina needs to force his fight to the ground. No ability to force the fight to the ground. When she does get the fight to the ground, you quickly notice, like, what's this BJJ World Champion shit? Like, why is it that you're a BJJ World Champion? You're, you go for, a, like, an armbar from Mount, and J.J. Aldrich just slides you off and gets on top of you? When J.J. Aldrich's in her guard, do you think she has a guard? No guard. So how is she some high-level BJJ black belt? I don't understand. So she loses the fight for well, JJ. Brazil, Cody. Everyone no, no. has a BJJ black belt. Yeah, well, quite possibly, right? So you lose that fight against JJ, and you're one and one in the UFC now. It's like, okay, you know it's what? Like European uh, Muay Thai champion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, but she kicked the shit out of that dude. Remember that guy tried to mug her in Brazil? And, like, his face looked like he went through the fucking windshield. Like, she messed him up. One and one in the UFC. She's still marketable. She's got to get the fight to the ground. But she lost as the favorite against Aldrich. Now she's made the favorite against, against Hannah Cyphers. Hannah Cyphers has almost no redeeming qualities other than the fact that she's got heart. She's so herky-jerky, uh, no movement, just comes right forward at you. And she has no reach. She overextends in all of her punches. And she works her. She works Paulina Vienna. Vienna can't take her down. Mm -hmm. Vienna decides to strike with her. And even though when you look at the numbers, it's 77 to 67 for Paulina Vienna. She outstruck her. You don't get that impression because she's got rinky-dink strikes with no power on it, and she's almost always getting backed up. The thing is, is that she hardly tried to even attempt to take Cyphers down and was unsuccessful at ever taking Cyphers down. And then it makes you realize, shit, what's good? What, what is it good to be at jiu-jitsu if you can't even get the fight to the ground? And the few times that the fight has gotten to the ground, it's not Rodolfo Vieira. That's, that's jiu-jitsu. This is just not not quite there. So now we look at Veronica Macedo because Jesus Christ has her UFC run been absolutely pitiful. So why why would we possibly pick this girl? This is what I like about her. Right from the time she debuts, okay? You and I did that first. We debuted her first show or for her first fight. We broke it down. She's coming off a terrible draw. And what was the very first thing we ever said about this girl? Undersized. Massively undersized. And she was taking on Ashley Evans-Smith. We said she could make 115... No idea why she's taking this fight against Ashley Evan Smith, who's actually big for 135. Smith's a black or Smith is a wrestler. She wrestled collegiately. She wants to get the fight to the ground. Macedo's got a Taekwondo uh, background, a karate background, and a bit of a kickboxing background. She's a good striker. She wants to stay to the outside. She likes to spin throw spinning stuff, but she can't grapple. Ashley Evan Smith, twice her size, takes her down, mauls her with elbows. Fair enough. The next fight's Andrea Lee. Well, Lee sits at 125, but Lee's big for the division, and geez, she's strong. She's very hard to peel to the ground. She's been working a lot on her grappling. She's far too strong, far too physical, and she's far too big. She stands like five foot seven versus the five foot four for Macedo, and she uses every little bit of it in that clinch with those knees. And I thought Macedo gave a good account of herself. I really did. Unfortunately, she's just too small. Her third fight in the UFC, Jillian Robertson. Jillian Robertson is one of the actual competent wrestlers in this division, 
who also happens to be good at jiu-jitsu. So what happens? Robertson takes her down and submits her. So we've not ever seen what this girl can do when she's actually fighting in her skill set. It's always just her getting taken down, and, and that's what it is. Jillian Robertson's relentless with takedowns. Andrea Lee is relentless with her pursuit of whatever. And Ashley Evans-Smith is way bigger and had a good game plan that night. But Paula and Viana doesn't have none of that shit. She's not a better wrestler than any of those three aforementioned girls. She doesn't have the pursuit. She doesn't have the aggression. She doesn't have the cardio. And then if you needed one little final kicker, one little final kicker, is that Macedo was the smallest 135er. I know, I know, I know. But she was she was the smallest 135er, right? Then we see her at 125. And it's like, man, she's still too small. She's too small against Andrea Lee, and she's too small against Jillian Robertson. But now... She's getting a short-notice replacement in Pollyanna Viana. Viana's taking the fight on like a 10 days' notice. Viana fights at 115. The only reason she's fighting at 125 here is because short notice. So this is the first time ever, Paul, that Macedo's actually going to fight. And I get there's like four or five-inch re- uh, height advantage here. But it's the first time she's going to uh, actually one inch, fall. One-inch height advantage for... Height advantage isn't even a freaking nah, I hate when people... My boy, the, the Greek, always... Oh, there's a height advantage here. She's like, what is MMA dog? <laughs> where is yeah. your mathematical background? Or like, where is where is there any proof that height advantage is really a thing? It's not. Um, but yeah, the three inch reach advantage for Pollyanna Vienna, but obviously not as well of a seasoned striker. As so she's know. got she's got that like hip but side. It's, jab. She's basically the same size as her, as her opponent for the first time, is what you're saying. For the first time, and when you watch Vienna, hands are really low. She allows her opponents to outstrike her and lead the dance. It didn't happen against Maya because she's terrible. Or against Stevenson, Maya Stevenson. Yep. She's terrible. But if Macedo, she's way faster than her. She's a far more dynamic striker. If she can just keep the fight standing for the very first time in her UFC tenure, she eats Vienna upstanding. Sure. The we're, thing is, is that we're I'm not, we're not playing Macedo on our, no, no. in our Iron Man. I'm one. I'm one week removed from saying that all Cole Smith had or Cole Williams had to do is what the f- what? keep the fucking fight what standing. What the fuck happened there, Cody? And no, I, I and that I was, guy looked like he looked like me on the scales, not like me years. Paul, ago, I'll like, have you know, we did the show before the weigh in. He looked like me, basically. Yeah, yeah. No, honestly, we did the show before the weigh in, and it was my birthday, so I was gone. And I come, I got a guy on Facebook. He says, oh, I'm really sorry I missed weight. I attempted to cut 45 pounds in the last four days and only managed to cut 24 today. But the fight's still on. My opponent accepted. I was like, oh, fuck, backing off this one. But by that point, my guns are already unholstered. He got fucked up. This could be a similar situation. I'm on Macedo. I'd be one of these people that would take that dog money that would lead her to now be the favorite. I, I see it. I really do. But, like, if Vienna does score a takedown in the first round and gets on her back, what do you think's going to happen? Macedo's probably going to give up the rear naked choke. She's got a history of doing so. So this is, it's, it's a risky proposition. And then as far as the DK side of it goes, like 7,600 on a Macedo, she'd have to score 100 significant strikes. She averages 25. But she averages she's 25. 19 points per, per fight. Yeah, but th- those are all fights in which she's taken down and has to deal with being off her back for the majority of it. So she's if, not very good. No, but she's she's got a she's got a path. She's got a path to victory. She's got not, a path here. It's a, it's a fucking pick em. Of course, she's got a path. I just don't don't follow the herd here. Is what I'm saying is don't follow the herd with 7600 and be with the other 40 percent of people who all have Veronica hey, Macedo. Hey. She's not going to score so much that it changes your game. Your boy, a close personal friend. What am I saying, friend? A p- close personal mentor of yours would say it him best. Got to follow that sharp money, Paul. Johnny the Greek coming at you. He, he blocked me. 
Oh, I, I deserve it. Mentorship. Fucking Ova, pal. Ova. He blocked me on Twitter. Oh, well, you had fun in games while it lasted. I mean, the funny thing about it is that, like, all I really want is that video. The the, the Fade the Greek video. Uh, Shouts to Wesley Colvin, I believe, is the one who started the hashtag. Hashtag Fade the Greek. Uh, Wasn't my creation when you go through. You type in hashtag Fade the Greek on Twitter. You'll see Wesley was the first one to write it. So shouts to uh, at True UK fan uh, for that. I just like uh, fade the Greek Twitter is like my new favorite pastime on Twitter because it's <laughs> hilarious. The guy says the most outrageous, uh, erroneous, it's crazy a tough spot. Eh? It's a tough spot to. I do, mean, be I wouldn't want to be doing. in that position. Wow. Like it, I know um, a lot of people um, that would like to. Unless for sure. you are, yeah, it's I would. I wouldn't want to be one of the guys. I know you, Marley. Uh, no, I there's don't other guys out there that want it. Um, <laughs> Me. What are you talking about? You could do that, Jeff. I was talking to you before you the show. Be... I got a little something in the pipeline that hopefully yeah. comes together. Yeah, but you would you would be good at that. I'd, I wouldn't want that role. So it is a tough spot. And if you go on a losing streak, the world's going to come after you. But, you know, you know, Johnny, you're a little... Like, I actually find it entertaining. I find the, the watching the whole dynamic. This adds to my experience of watching Contender Series is, like, hearing his... Uh, egregious analysis and what he tells people and how what lines he got and stuff like that which is like filled with fabrications and lies and all this other stuff because he's just like oh yeah i'm betting massive amounts and he's just like dude the limits on these fights are like he he suggested gilbert or uh, herbert burns last night was a minus 600 favorite and it's just like the the limits at a lot of these places is probably like five hundred by the time it got to six hundred. On those openers, it's like my it's like two hundred and fifty bucks. So it's yeah, like yeah. how much are you really all oh, the crime syndicates and all this other stuff? It's like, come on, man. Come on, man. You're not pulling the wool over my eyes. Yeah, I've been doing this long enough, buddy. What our one friend Paquette. He's tag, not tag he's not geared our, for people like us, though. He's on, geared for people that might casually tune yeah, in and don't know what sure. they're looking at. But he's he's a little soft. He's a little soft. He, he blocked. He, he blocked me. I've never actually tagged him. Somebody tagged me in a tweet. He obviously clicked on my account, saw that it was a hashtag fade, fade the Greek uh, so hater I, hater yeah. hater. I got a, I got a few questions. I got for you blocked because I just don't I just don't know enough about him. Yeah. But like, was he was covering other sports obviously before MMA? Yeah. And did he do videos of it or like was he a written guy? Uh, they've got him. They have like some betting show on Fight Pass because it doesn't so look like he's it's on first there. Time. And and Michael like Bisping's usually on it as well. And Bisping just like rips on him and like and makes fun of his bets and stuff on the show. So it's like because this it's is kind of part of the gimmick i think and like if you notice they went on to the desk last night there's one thing or uh, i'm saying last night now people know that we recorded this on a wednesday but um the one funny thing he's on the desk there with like that jabroni new host that they have on the contender series. i didn't even know who he was but i still don't know what his name is so they had him they had johnny johnny admits to like he's been having a bit of a rough go on the contender props Props i want to say props props to that yeah yeah um and the other the, the host is like oh no you you have a don dom uh dom cruise isn't even looking at him he's staring off into the distance like this like looking all the way around and then after he talks about the fight that is coming up dom cruise goes oh yeah yeah, yeah. so and then he and dom cruise who obviously wasn't listening to a second not even a word 
<laughs> wraps up what happened on the last fight, not realizing which fight they were talking about. They're yeah. talking about the fight coming up, not the fight that just finished. It was pretty hilarious. And you see the Greek, Greek in the tough spot, just like he didn't listen to it. No, and, and here's and here's the tough part for me, right? If you're going to put this guy, you put any gambler, you put me, you, you put any of the guys in the yeah, community, the best guys, him, in between on... Bisming and, and Cruz, they're not going to take the guy seriously. No, it's true. Just because right off the bat, it's, yeah, we're fighters and you're a couch potato that essentially just watches fights and critiques it, which is... Yeah all we do is watch tape and all you do is live your regular life. So who's going to be more equipped to do the job? All I got to say there. Yeah, Bisbing and Cruz are fantastic at what they do and we love having them, but they're not going to give you that same amount of respect off the bat. Right. You go for lunch with these guys, you have conversation with these guys, you let them know like, holy shit, dude, this guy knows everything about me, all my fights and my career. Maybe they'll accept you, but he's not like this. He's not a fight fan. The thing I'm going to stand up from on this is if, if ESPN told me we want to hire you, you know MMA, we like you, we like the whole thing, great. You take it. If they told me we need a one-minute, you're a gambling guy, we need a one-minute preview of this tennis match, it would be very difficult to bullshit it. Mm -hmm. So I do my notes. I got my notes. Okay, I'm going to go out with this. Only, this ain't no Grand Slam event. This is ATP Challengers, dog. You're fucked. You're set up for failure right off the get-go. Most sane human beings pass on those fights mm -hmm. because there's nothing to be gained. The price is no good or it's two guys that just, they're just so green in their career. Who's what's going to happen? But this guy's got 55 seconds or a minute or whatever it is to go out there, give two picks, all this information. He doesn't know who these guys are. People who are hardcores don't know who these guys are. And they expect this goof to figure it out? Like, no, nah, not going to happen. So I, he's just, he's uncomfortable in the position and they're, but now I've given him a little defense. The one thing I'll say is the most irking thing about him is that when I did check out his Twitter, he's always trying to like justify shit and he'll always be like, it's just a numbers thing. I could lose 10 yeah. matches in a row. It doesn't matter because you're going to go and it's like, no, dog, losing 10 in a row fucking matters. When you're telling people, people, people are taking your advice. Man. And like, during, something's during wrong with Herbert you. the Burns fight too, it's just like, it was a it was a tough stylistic matchup for for Minner who likes to. But Minner always gets submissions. This is what happens. Yeah, exactly. He's like he's a guy who he likes to go to his grappling, and he's going up against a guy who's just you you know has, is on a different level altogether. But like Minner was giving him the business until he got caught in that triangle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the thing with Minner, Derek Minner, very tough guy. You look at his record. Journeyman type record, but he's got thirty pro fights. He's fought in good guys. He's fought for good organizations. By no means is he a slouch. But he's a decent wrestler, and he's going to not want to go to the ground with Herbert Burns. And then he goes on record stating, I am going to take this guy down. You know what? Maybe you will, and maybe you'll have some success. But at some point, you can only play with fire for so long. Yeah. Burns should never, he went off at 700. Should have never gone to 7 to 1. Shouldn't have been 6 to 1. But like, yeah, four and a half, five, five and a half all day. Because it was just, you knew Minner was going to make some bozo decision. Unless he was trying to throw us off. Clearly, he wasn't. So yeah, Dana. Dana is actually the one who posts the the fade the Greek videos. Well, Dana likes the guy. They must have some. Yeah, but type he doesn't of... even t like. So like, I'm still getting the videos, even though the Greek blocked me. So Greek just doesn't want to hear your shit. I've and... never actually tagged them in my shit. He actively went out of his way to discover yeah, yeah. my shit. But this is to me, and we can wrap up the show here. And he's this... blocked like half the. He's gonna be blocking you. Somebody's gonna send it to him. He's gonna be like, who's that? Who's that fucker in the But in the this, red hat? this, this Block goes him. with everything what? Paul Shaughnessy X. has ever gone X for. going to give it to you. Paul Shaughnessy was the first guy to tell me. I was living with Pat Mayo. Pat Mayo got some death threats or something weird. And then, uh, and then I was like, damn, you, you haven't made it in this business until someone tweets you some death threats. Like, that's how you know you made it. And I was like, then whatever, you block them. Paul says, <laughs> block them? 
you don't block them. I says, why? He goes, that's them winning. You mute them. You mute them. They look like idiots. They think they're tweeting you, whatever. And uh, nobody likes to be ignored. Nobody likes to cold shoulder. But when they see such and such blocked you, that's a troll's win. Mm-hmm. Paul Shaughnessy got motherfucker blocked. <laughs> he didn't get muted. He got blocked. And I can see the glow on you. I've been talking to you right before we even did the show. <laughs> That's a win for you. You won. You beat the Greek. Mm-hmm. I like it. 100%. So hashtag fade the Greek. We're going to be fading Greeks <laughs> a lot more. A lot more. Why but... is Anthony Christodoulou coming back? That's the biggest Greek to fade. Yeah. Hopefully. One of these days. I wouldn't Not mind UFC. seeing T- Tony Puddings back in action. Anyway. I think that's, uh, you have any final thoughts or you have, you, you have to go through your picks. You always do that. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm a little light Pogi on dogs Rob's this parlay. week. Yeah. Pogi Rob's Pogi Parlay. So, uh, but yeah, we got to have Shevchenko. No doubt about it. I'm going to go Vincente Luque. I'm going to take that slight dog band in a play. I'm going to go with Volkan Uzdemir, Rodolfo Vieira. He'll be one of my plays of the week, but uh, he's probably the play of the week. 230 is not a bad price. Like you don't feel that bad giving that out. Barzolov, like I know I'm gonna sweat it, but I'm gonna take him. That's another favorite. Gagne, definitely gonna take him. That's another favorite. So if I'm gonna chase a dog, I would take Rodriguez. She's the most appealing dog that I've gone to at this point, I would believe. But my initial pick was Tisha Torres. I'm gonna go with Pava. That's even. Chris Gutierrez. There's at least a slight little dog. The Alex De Silva fight. I get it. Pricing's way off, but I get it. Now, I, I did go Konchenko. I said, I've been going back and forth. Konchenko, you're going Burns. But, like, because I'm on a lack of dogs, and Macedo would be another dog play for me, but she switched to the favorite. Like, I'll admit, the two best-looking dogs, in my opinion, at this point, seem to be Marina Rodriguez and Gilbert Burns. Maybe Burns better than Rodriguez, plus 125. So, I'll... Uh, I'll take Gilbert Burns. I'll take the dog. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll switch for one more time. I'll take Burns. And then I'm going to take Veronica Macedo. Cody Saftik, ladies and gentlemen, give him a follow on Twitter at CJ Saftik. You can follow me on Twitter at Paul Shag. See all of my. It's basically become a fade the Greek uh, hater <laughs> hater account at this point. But I imagine uh, I you know I, uh, time times will pass. Contender series will end. I will move on to bigger and better things. But anyway, for Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Stop paying those high retail prices for other optics that underperform. At Track Optics, we're passionate about creating the best optics for hunting and long-range precision shooting. We know that having the right equipment can make all the difference in your experience. That's why we use the highest quality materials and the latest technology to produce optics that are durable, reliable, and perform exceptionally well in any environment. For more information, visit trackedoptics.com. Again, that's trackedoptics.com. Upgrade today with Tracked Optics.